takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get on to my show. Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. I've had a weird morning so far. Um, I suffer from a lack of patience in myself and with others when it comes to uh, any kind of perceived instability or lack of control on my part. It's something that that I apparently have dealt with for a long time, and it really came to head this morning uh, between a friend and I, and this girl was, was being not unreasonable and asking me to to help her out with the situation and I took it in a way that uh, was unrealistic and suddenly I didn't know where where I stood as far as the friendship goes and uh, you know it come it comes from my dad leaving when I was four he he uh, kicked my mom and I out we were living in Mexico and had his workers from across the street throw a bunch of cardboard boxes in the in the front yard and we left shortly thereafter in a Datsun B210 with bald tires went up to Redlands to live with my grandparents and when I was 14 my grandfather died and uh, when I was in my 20s my uh, mom divorced a guy who uh, was a lunatic and ended up going to prison so yeah I, I uh, and then I shouldn't expect other people to read my mind when certain things trigger me I, and I hate that word because it seems to be like part of the vernacular now and I, I don't mean it in a way I guess I do. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I do. Yeah, I guess I mean it that way. Uh, so these forces, these unseen forces in my uh, the middle of my brain kind of uh, dictate how things go sometimes. So anyway, that's, that's, that's what's happening this morning. I resolved it, came to some really important conclusions. I, I patched up my uh, friendship. You know, I, I, we got in this texting thing that started last night and I really, uh, fired with both barrels this morning. And then I went out to breakfast with, uh, um, Eric Whitaker, my friend, and, uh, another mutual friend, two of my best friends, Mark Royce. And I said, Hey, you know, this is happening, man. I'm, I, I was in a terrible mood and, uh, I showed them the, the texts and they both said, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you got a, you got something going on here. I think you're overreacting. So thank you, fellas. Uh, it's nice to get an outside perspective. And you know, I think they were right. So so there you have it. So I made up and I identified the problem, had a real nice conversation with the, the person who I, I probably offended, even though she didn't, didn't let on that much. She probably felt blindsided. But anyway, it's it's resolved and it's been a weird day. And the, and John Talberg was coming in. This happened like a couple hours before my interview with John. And the house was a mess and uh not I mean, it's just, you know, we've got two kids. It's nobody's fault. I I don't like picking up so much and uh and I should. I need to pitch in a little bit more. So today I I raced around and cleaned the house and scrubbed the toilets and uh vacuumed up all the the body hair that was covering all the bathrooms and you know what john didn't even use the bathroom so i guess i didn't even need to do that but i felt like john was coming at the the apex of uh my tolerance you know you know when things kind of build up and and uh you let it go and you let it go and then one day it, it's just like i just can't take it anymore and you get up and you clean everything well that was today 
on top of what happened this morning. So I was not feeling great about this uh, interview. And uh, as you'll hear, my mood improved. John's a, a delightful guy. And, and he drove all the way up from Long Beach. And I'm very appreciative for that. So I want to thank you, John. And uh, while I'm at, at my gratitude portion of the uh, voiceover, I want to thank Michael Nielsen at Michael Nielsen Music for letting me use this Shure SM7B microphone. It's amazing. So Shure, if you're listening, please send two more because I love them. Uh, I want to thank Gregory Geiger for helping me with my theme song. Still loving it. Go to laclassical.com and check them out. And lastly, uh, if you guys like this interview or any interviews you've heard in the past, when you get to the end of it, throw me a dollar. I would really appreciate it. If you go to my website and hit the donate button, lwagpod.com, hit the donate button. It takes like 10 seconds. That would be awesome. So I want to thank you all for listening. Here is John Talberg. And um, and so we ended up buying this property together, and it's been just an incredible experience. Now, separate houses. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm no I'm no closer to her house than you are to your next door neighbor house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just it's not it's not a shared lot. So. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, uh, bring this in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell. So we're recording, by the way. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, this is. I mean, this is fascinating okay. uh, and, and terrible. Yeah. I don't know if, if I don't know if it being terrible makes it fascinating. I hope not. I think so often in life <laughs> the terrible makes for the the good eventually. Yeah. So you were telling me that your friend died in a climbing accident? Yeah, rock climbing. I mean, it was actually really a, a technical a technical hike, but um we had been friends our whole lives, uh, well since since we were teenagers. And um he had a girlfriend, her uh-huh. name's Jelana, uh-huh. and um and after he passed away, she and I got even closer and ended up buying a property together um, in Long Beach. It's really close to um, Cal State. I'm about four miles from where I teach. Yeah, yeah. And she is, um, at the time, she was working, if you can believe it, in Calabasas and, uh-huh. and commuting from Belmont Shore uh-huh. to Calabasas oh on a daily basis. Uh-huh. But then a position came open as for house counsel. She was an attorney at Epson, and she ended up moving to Epson. Uh, and which is at the Long Beach Airport. I mean, really close. And her husband is one of LA's finest pianists. Yeah, Cr- yeah, yeah. Chris Luthi. Yeah, I've worked with Chris Luthi. Um, I mean, it was a long time ago. I, uh, gosh, it must have been 10, 12 years ago. Was he at Northridge at some point? Or? Um, no, he was at or, SC he was and at, 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 at and at Santa Monica. Uh-huh. He did the opera program. Um, played for Gail Gordon for a lot of years. You know, years. that's where I started, Santa okay. Monica. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. I was twenty-five and uh, took a singing class. Huh. With you, a lady named Sue Ann Pinner. You didn't sing. You didn't sing growing up. No. Wow. Not at all. That's amazing. No. Did you? Did you? Were you? I, I did. Yeah. I, I had a fortunate. I was just talking about this yesterday that I really was fortunate in terms of musical education. You know. Where you, did you, you grow up? Back. I grew up in Orange County. Um, I, I grew up. Me too. City of Orange. Uh huh. Um, Base. Real close to Chapman, uh-huh. and um, like around the circle there. Um, no, but but near but nearby. Uh, everybody nearby. says that, yeah. right? When you say you're from Orange, right? Oh, the, oh, the circle, the circle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, like Cuban place. Right, right. Yeah. I'm actually at the base of the hill. My parents were, were not on the hill, but right, right, kind of at the base. And I um I had piano lessons from the time I was 12 with a teacher who wasn't very good, mm-hmm. um, but she kept me playing and she taught me chords and inversions, and so that I could fake anything from a fake yeah, book yeah. from the time I was 14 or 15. Wow. And um, when did you start playing? I was about 11, 12. 
Yeah. Wow. Were your, par- so, were your parents musical? Um, my mom is very musical. She's a good singer. Mm-hmm. She took lessons um, at a private school called the Detroit Conservatory in, in Michigan okay. um, when she was growing up. And, you know, she she did some operetta in high school and, uh-huh. and you know, in college and that sort of thing. And But you, you were born in Orange County? I was. Yeah. I see. So they came up. I'm the only member of my family not born in Michigan. How many do you? How many brothers and sisters? One brother, one sister, and um, and then everybody on my mom's side moved out and followed them out to L.A. And everybody on my dad's side stayed in Michigan. I see. And are your siblings in music as well? No, you're the only one. I'm the only one in the whole family. Uh, Yeah, I'm the only professional musician. And was your mom? uh, Was that just her application, or did she? Oh, I see. Uh Yeah, she never. She never never pursued a musician. I see. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what's interesting to me is that I I grew up in, in Newport Beach in Orange County as well, and we didn't, I don't know how your high school was, but it sounds like, I mean, I'm assuming did, that you got some training in school, or did you do it all outside of school? Because we didn't have any music in my high school in, in, yeah, we in the had, 80s. Interestingly, my middle school program was fantastic. Uh-huh. I had a great middle school choir teacher, and she had hundreds of kids singing in seven choirs. Mm-hmm. And um, then I went to the high school, and I had a really great high school teacher my first year. Mm-hmm. His name was David Poole, and I love I mean, I can remember like it was yesterday. I sang my first Vaughn Williams piece and, and, and you know, English choral music. And, and, and I had gone to Arrow Bear Music Camp, which really ended up becoming a, a very important part what, of my training. What's Arrow Bear Music Camp? Is it's, that up in like it's Arrowhead? It's halfway in between Arrowhead and Big Bear. Oh, I see. Which is, um, you know, the, the, the joke was they could have named it Arrow Bear or Big Head. But, <laughs> and they probably made the right choice with Arrow Bear. <laughs> so, um, but I, I grew up there. And then, and then when I got to high school, I had one year with this really fine teacher. And then he left to go back to graduate school. Mm-hmm. And the middle school teacher moved up to the high school and mm-hmm. this woman who had been an extraordinary middle school teacher mm-hmm. didn't work out for her at the high school level um i loved her dearly yeah but it, it, it i was really frustrated in rehearsals because you know i, I was at that age where I, I thought i knew more than i did yeah, and yeah yeah things weren't getting fixed in rehearsals and i i had some idea of the way that i wanted the music to go because yeah. i was coming home after school and playing it at the piano sure and i was frustrated and so i ended up i show my my students at long beach that i have on, on my wall i have outstanding singer seventh eighth ninth tenth and eleventh grade and occasionally they'll say well what happened to twelfth grade i said i dropped out of choir because i wasn't challenged Wow. And I think that that's a, it was a really good lesson for me. You know, you I know? felt that way a lot too in school, yeah. honestly. Just, uh, well, I mean, I didn't study music at all, but academically I felt the same right. way. And um, I, I see that music education certainly is following down that path nowadays. I mean, sure. they're, 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 not only are they not being challenged, but there's no music education anymore. Right. Well, I actually, I think it's starting to come back. Uh-huh. And I have a theory about, about that. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I, I teach future future choral directors. Yeah. First of all, there were more jobs available this year than we could fill at, at the big music ed schools in Southern California, which are, which are Long Beach and Fullerton. I mean, we were getting emails constantly asking us for, for alums. And I, every one of my alums that wants to be teaching school is mm-hmm. teaching school. Wow. Um, Maybe not always with the resources that we'd want them to have. Sure. You know, the idea of, a, of, a, of an accompanist or mm-hmm. even enough money to buy appropriate repertoire sure. is really challenging. But they've done all this research you know, over and over again that shows that giving a kid an extra math class is not going to get them to speed with math. And right. So if you take somebody who, who needs to learn how to read and understand poetry, if you put them in choir and they're confronted w- by you know, texts of, 
of you know um, Robert Frost or, or Goethe yeah. or that sort of thing, yeah. then all of a sudden you can actually get them excited about poetry, mm -hmm. perhaps in a way that that doesn't work in an English class. And so I think. Um, that coupled with the fact that we have real community mm -hmm. in choir, mm -hmm. and I mean these That's these the students, they've got it, yeah. they've got blue faces all day long. I mean yeah. their faces are in their cell phones. Yeah, and I the world has changed so much with everybody's connected but nobody actually talks to each other and in choir there's something that's so primal you know we're making music together that's right um in fact this year i took um before school started i took the table at the, at the entrance to my choir room and one of my students made a graph with masking tape and we wrote a number on each one of the squares that we made in this graph mm -hmm. and students come into rehearsal and they lay their cell phone on that table and so there are 45 cell phones at the beginning of my choir, including mine and the accompanists. Yeah. And that two hours is a cell phone free period so that nobody is um, tempted to check when their phone buzzes in their yeah. pocket. But we're actually in the space. And of course, the other thing is I haven't had a cell phone go off in a rehearsal in eight weeks of class, which is pretty unheard of. Yeah, it's weird that, uh, you know, when I was going to college, it, cell phones were just coming in. I mean, they were, I had this big Nokia thing that I probably couldn't even fit in my pocket now, thinking back. Um, and it wasn't as big of an issue. So I'm a little bit out of the loop about, although on the other hand, I can see that a choir rehearsal would be the last place. I mean, it's gotta be an easy thing to ask them to put their phones down. Is, is it or is it, 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 it? I is. mean, I loved choir. At the same time, there are always those moments in choir where you say, can I hear the sopranos and the altos on this? Yeah. And, you know, oh, you've sure, got sure. 16 bases pulling out their phone sure, to sure. see, you know, what's going on with the Cubs game. Yeah. And it happens um, in L.A. Opera in the pit. I mean, if the, if the, if the trombones aren't playing, they're yeah, reading sure, the they're newspaper. On their <laughs> and so it, I have found it to be a really wonderful way to get us all in the same room. And yeah. it's just a lot easier to say, Sopranos and Altos, I'd like to hear you rehearse that. And bass the tenors follow along, see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And nobody nobody feels cheated because they can't reach into their pocket and pull in their phone because right. it's not there. Now, do you find uh, that, you're, that the students... Students coming in as freshmen are prepared uh, musically for the rigors of the program or yeah at my school they are because okay. we're auditioning about 300 students a year okay. to come up with a freshman and transfer class of 30 to 35 so um, you know the exceptions are quite frankly those students who are really fine academic students from an inner city school yeah where at least where there's no budget there's no for... there's no budget and no music and i have a couple of students right now who are struggling because they've really never been faced with with the printed score mm -hmm. and so they're learning to read mm -hmm. but they're smart kids that's how i was and, and so you know if, if you're smart you're, you're gonna get it yeah and, um and we we, we tend to throw those students right into the pond you know yeah that's exactly how start, i was start swimming oh know? my god i remember my first year at cal state fullerton i was with john alexander and I, I mean, I'd only been studying how to read music for a couple of years leading up to that. And so I was still really struggling with my musicianship. And he gave me a solo in the men's choir. It was Beeble's Ave Maria, uh -huh. and I'll never forget it. And the entrance came in the rehearsal, and I missed it. And he stopped the whole thing, and he stormed to the piano, and with one finger banged out my solo oh, and I almost I literally almost fainted oh, right wow. there on the spot so That's yeah so funny. That, I had the same experience it's like sink or swim I have a Beeble it's funny Beeble 
my my scariest moment in choir was with the Beeble Ave Maria. Also, I was um, singing with the Cincinnati Vocal Arts Ensemble, mm-hmm. which is a really wonderful yeah, professional I've sung with group. Them before. Yeah, 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 really great group. Mm-hmm. And um, I did I think three seasons with VAE when I was in graduate school. Mm-hmm. And this was my first year that we were doing a holiday concert. And um, Earl Rivers gave me one of the solos mm-hmm. on I think it was the second in the Beeble. And I was so taken away by the beauty so of the beautiful. men's chorus part yeah. coming into it that I just sort of spaced after we, we <laughs> finished. We finished. And then he points at me and I'm looking at him and he's pointing at like, me. Yes. And I, I'm looking at him and he goes, hmm. And I looked down at my score and I go, Maria Dixi. It's like, oh, okay. I guess I was supposed to sing. I, I've done the same my voice thing. teacher was there. I mean, everybody was there. Yeah, it was 500 people in you know the Cathedral of St. Peter in Chains. Yeah, it was one of the, and so for that reason, Every time I hear the people, you get the sweats a little yeah, bit. A little bit. <laughs> were you were you at CCM at the time? Is that I was. Where you, yeah, that's where you were studying. Yeah, I, I did see. my master's and my doctorate and a post doctoral fellowship in Cincinnati. With oh, the I love Cincinnati. That's a yeah. great town. And it has changed. I mean, I have I still have a lot of friends who live in Cincinnati. Yeah, and um, so I go back with some frequency, yeah, yeah. and I just can't believe the change to downtown. I mean, it feels like a European. It feels like a German city. Of course, it was you yeah. know founded by yeah, yeah. German immigrants. Are but, you talking about over the Rhine? Yeah, yeah, the whole really? over the Rhine area. Yeah. When was the last time you were there? Well, I was there. Uh, it's got to have been 15 years. I left uh, Cal State Fullerton to sing at the opera company. There. Oh, you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize it was over so the dangerous. Line. Oh yeah, they've completely redone all the area around Music Hall. Oh, there's a gosh. giant park out in front yeah, now. Sure. It's been clean, you know, completely cleaned up and no needles. There's no needles. No, oh, I mean it, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. All of the surrounding architecture has been cleaned. The historic buildings have been returned to their historic beauty. Oh, I mean it's gosh. it's stunning. It looks like Europe or it looks like St. Paul. I think when I was in St. Paul, Minnesota, I had the same thing like, oh, this is what Cincinnati looks like. Wow. You know, just completely rebuilt and steam cleaned and landscaped and... Yeah, it's really nice, and That's they're putting great. in they're putting in a tram uh, or a trolley car all the way around downtown Cincinnati as well. Oh my gosh! Yeah, when I was there, it was well, I was doing I did some outreach for the opera company, and whenever we went to over the Rhine, it was the 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 delight and the pure joy that the students showed us, and the and the and the um, attitudes of the principals that were so lovely in those schools were starkly contrasted by the extraordinarily dangerous. The surroundings. Right. I mean, it's it's like martial law. Oh, absolutely. Back then, I was in. I was going to school in Cincinnati um, when the movie Crash came out. Mm-hmm. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. And how it was it was set in three different areas, right? Mm-hmm. And um, am I thinking of the right? Is that the right? No, movie? no. It's the one with Michael Douglas about her, his daughter gets into drugs. Right. Um, I guess it's not Crash. What, no, what? Uh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll come back. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, part of it's in Tijuana and part of it's in yes, over the Rhine. Traffic. Traffic. Yes. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, over over the Rhine. Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's how oh, it yeah, was. This is this is where this is where I'm living. Very very close to this. And yeah. Yet, you know, still you know stratified neighborhoods. So much like like in so many big cities. In, yeah, yeah. So how did US. you find yourself out? in I mean, obviously CCM's a, a tremendous school, but uh, you went to school in Orange. I did. I uh, taught high school okay. afterwards. Okay. Um, I taught. Four years of high school. Um, you know, it's interesting. I started as a theater major. I wasn't going to be a music major. Oh, as a performer? As, as, a, as a theater performance major at Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. And um, in retirement, the choir director there was Roger Wagner. Um, and after the first rehearsal there, he said to me, so what's your major? And I told him, you know, I'm theater arts. And he yeah. said, that's stupid. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, I was an 18-year-old freshman, yeah. just finished my first rehearsal with the great Roger Wagner. Yeah. And I said, oh, 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 why? And he said, well, um, you know, 
an actor's life is a really terrible life, but a conductor's <laughs> life can be a really wonderful life. He said, you should be a conductor. Uh-huh. And it, he said, have you ever conducted? I said, well, you know, I was, I, until I quit choir in high school, yeah. I was I was an assistant there and I, I'd done some conducting, but not, not to, none to speak of. And he said, well, why don't you come to my studio on Tuesday and um, we'll talk through this piece we're going to do, uh, the Dura Flay Requiem, which is oh one my of my God. favorite pieces, sure. he said. And... Um, and I went to his studio and he had a brand new score, which he handed me. And I still have it. It's just inscribed to me. Mm-hmm. And and by the end of that week, I changed my major to music. Um, and he had just convinced me that that I would love being a choir director. And of course, his it, the four rehearsals with him that I'd had by that point were, you know, transformative. And so I was at Pepperdine for one year and then he had, he was sick. He had gotten cancer yeah. and he said to me, you know, you, you need to transfer. You, you probably should go to Chapman. I think you and Dr. Hallwood, William Hallwood, yeah, get sure. along great. And um, you should go to Chapman. And I said, well, I don't want to go to Chapman because I grew up in Orange. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, yeah, Pepperdine yeah. was at least far enough away that I could, uh, yeah. could, could not get in trouble. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, well, it's really where you need to go. And um, I've already talked to him and it's all taken care of. All you have to do is submit an application. What did he, and, what, what did he see in you at the time? I, I mean, did, you know, you, you'd question. only known him. Uh, I'd known sh- him at that point. Well, that was the end of probably about mm-hmm. February or March when he, when he decided I was going to Chapman. Yeah. Um, you'd only finished, a, a, you've only spent a few hours with him. Probably. Yeah. I'd spent an hour a week, every week, plus rehearsals. I don't know. I've thought about that myself. And, and just recently now as a teacher, I'm beginning to think differently about that idea of talent of that's mm. those students you know who you meet them and you think wow this kid is really talented mm-hmm. and how is that different from musical experience or good training right I, I think in my case it was a level of engagement in the rehearsal John Alexander you know? said the same thing about me in a, in a commencement speech which I will never forget and he's right. describing what you're describing that there are certain students that you know, I like I said, I didn't read a note of music, and uh, right. by the end of my time with John, he say Omar sing this, this sing this uh, Hinastera. Right. You know, I bang it out. Sure. And that made him really proud. And I think you, I think you're describing what he would agree with. Yeah, I have a student, you know, at at, at Long Beach who it, the same way he started and you know could barely read, and um, here he is, you know, four year senior. I just hired him at First Congregational Church, mm-hmm. and he reads like a bandit, you yeah. know. But he's put the time in and. Yeah. He also has a natural aptitude, but in every rehearsal, he had um, what one of my colleagues, Lori Marie Rios, calls the yes face. He'd yeah. walk into rehearsal, yeah. and no matter what you said, his face said yes. Yeah. And I think that I had that for Roger. And then once I started studying with him, I, I didn't know anything. You know, I never, I had never looked at a full orchest- orchestral score yeah. before my freshman year of college. I was in the same and boat. I think, yeah, you know, but I, but I had some piano skills, mm-hmm. and I, and I could read music. Um, not fluently, but I could read. Mm-hmm. And I would go home and try and figure out how transpositions worked. Yeah. And, you know, I would go in, and of course, he was a fabulous organist. So, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of those guys you could put a full orchestral score on the piano and he could play. Reduce it a time. Yeah, just yeah. absolutely no problem. Yeah. But he was so patient with me, which, you know, us musicians in LA know that that was not Roger Wagner's um, reputation. Mm-hmm. And I joked, I joked once with one of his other former singers that you know I got him when he was an old man trying to get into heaven, you know, <laughs> and that he was just super kind to me. Yeah, and he really did set me on this path that has been an extraordinary career for me. And he was right. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah, it, it certainly feels like it most days. Do you miss? <laughs> uh, do you first of all, do you still perform? <clears throat> Very rarely. It's interesting. You mentioned John yeah. Alexander. Um, I did my Brahms Requiem with John last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a piece that 
became really important to me um, after my partner passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, the, the Brahms Requiem being truly the Requiem for the Living mm-hmm. was something that I, I listened to a lot in multiple different versions. I had conducted it twice in my life, but I'd never sung it. Mm-hmm. And so when I found out that Pacific was doing it and that um, John was retiring, this was his last year, yeah. I called him and said, hey, can I can I audition and I'd like to come do this piece? He said, well, mm-hmm. you don't need to audition, but by all means, do you want to sing tenor or baritone? And I said, I think I'll sing tenor I'm on it. I'm doing the know? same thing. Yeah, exactly. I'm, getting, I'm going to get in on one of those concerts. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was a mentor so, for me too. And, and I, th- I think the next one, I'm going to do Sea Symphony in the spring. Because oh, I know nice. that's a piece that he just absolutely loves. Nice. And, now the Brahms, so. uh, was it something that your partner connected with? Or is it something that you just found that spoke to you at that, no, that I think that moment? No, a- I think that after he passed away, it was one of those pieces that... that um, just spoke to me you know there's so much discussion in the piece of comfort yeah you know yeah. and the blessed are those who mourn mm-hmm. you know the, the english translation and i think that i i just needed to hear that you know the the thing that our previous generations have over us is that they can speak to us mm-hmm. you know we can't speak to them they're gone but mm-hmm. i just felt like brahms was speaking to me directly mm-hmm. in that and i don't i don't know what it was that he was saying, you know, after his mother's death right. as he worked on that piece and and completed it and then of course added the the soprano solo later. Um but it spoke to me mm-hmm. and it really um was something that I listen to a lot and I'm not someone who listens to choral music at mm-hmm. home all the time. You know, I make it all day long. I know, yeah. And so, so a lot but it was I, I I listened to it a lot and then I thought I want to do this. How long ago? I mean, we've never spoken about it, but I understand he he passed away while you guys were on tour. Right, That's we were pretty we, yeah, terrible. It was, it was in 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 a concert. Yeah, in, in Florence had a ma- massive stroke or coronary. Um, that was two. That was summer of two thousand fourteen. Uh huh. Um, and so, and how long yeah. had you guys been together? About three years. I see. Yeah, and we were engaged to be married um, in the following year. So, um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I was not young. I mean, I'm, I, I, we didn't meet until I was, um, you know, 41 years old or 42 years old. Yeah. And I'd had, you know, other good relationships and he had other good relationships, mm-hmm. but it was just the right um, chemistry between the two of us. Yeah. And um, it was a, his name was Herman. He was a fabulous musician, mm-hmm. truly a, a great singer, you know, wonderful tenor, huh. great reader, mm-hmm. um, and a fine educator. He was uh, at Delta College, which is up in Stockton, mm-hmm. and a choral director. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had a lot in common. How did you guys meet at an ACBA convention? Close, at a, at a yeah. California Association of Music Educators convention. I see. I see. So, yeah. It's funny. We, You and I have a very similar trajectory. I'm 46, and I got married when I was 40, and I'd had some relationships obviously leading up to that and i guess it is a matter of timing right i uh i was getting to the point and i know my wife who was my girlfriend for seven years leading up to our marriage was uh feeling like we might not have kids or whatever and now i'm 46 with a 10 month old so right i i understand are you tired omar (laughs) i'm tired all the time i would be tired without kids just by virtue of my age but right uh yeah no it's it's marvelous and uh i'm so sorry to hear that's a terrible yeah terrible thing i mean you know it it was so traumatic like i said he he passed and in the middle of a concert in front of the audience and and you know my choir from cal state long beach so it wasn't just traumatic for me but it was traumatic for my my principal community which is the students that I teach on a daily basis sure. at Cal State. Did, did you find some uh, 
uh, uh, I mean, how did your community respond? Were they, uh, was it something that? Extraordinarily yeah. supportive. I mean, extraordinarily. Yeah. My, my, two of my former students, um, Greg Taniguchi and, and Brian Doko, who are both fabulous musicians themselves with, with careers, they, um, they put together the service along with my department chair, Carolyn mm -hmm. Bremer, and um, you know, we, I was just taken care of. The mm -hmm. students were so loving and so supportive, and of course, they all knew Herman because they'd been on tour with him. Sure. And um, and, he, and he had three transfer students from his college at at school. And so, I think the hardest thing for me was letting my students take care of me and and yeah, right. recognizing at the same time that. It was a role reversal because, right. you know, I've been a teacher since I was 23 years old. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm in my 25th year of teaching now. And, and I'm used to taking care of students when they need it. But in this case, I needed the community to take care of yeah, me. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to accept help. Yeah. Uh, and they were great. Uh, they have been, they are great. In fact, you know, I did a, a concert last night with with the chamber choir mm -hmm. and one of the pieces on this concert was um the lord's and sonetto de la noche mm -hmm, sure you know which is one of the most touching texts about death ever set you yeah know? and they said to me one of, one of my students said you know if, if if you get teary in the concert we'll be okay we can sing through your tears and i said thanks i'm gonna try and hold it together yeah and how'd it know, go it went well actually <laughs> which is better um you know i know you you had jake um Renestad on a couple weeks ago yeah. and um he wrote the piece i don't know did he, did, you know if he told you the whole story about how that happened but herman had one business card in his wallet yeah and that was jake's um and so he, yes yeah. yes so we decided that we were you know gonna do a commission from Jake Runestead and that's how he and I became friends but I could never conduct that piece um, after it was written my graduate assistant Dan Doctor had to do the premiere because it was just too emotional for yeah me. I couldn't I couldn't get through it do you compose at all have you thought about writing a piece about no. that no you don't No, I'm I'm not, I have you know that's what we have the Jake Runesteads and the Eric Whitakers of the world for. I have friends who write. I let, yeah, I let, I let them do what they're good at. Do the and I, I do what I'm good at, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I wrote was a musical when I was in high school. Oh, you so, did? Yeah. What was that about? Um, you know, it was a it was a, a tale uh, for um, fifth and sixth graders from the district. Uh -huh. And every fifth and sixth grader in Orange County came to our high school and saw this show that we were doing. Um, and it, it was a musical that the, the basic idea was that there was a school bus on its way to a, to a camp, you know, mm -hmm. outdoor school, and it goes off and goes into a ravine and all the kids find themselves magically at a different camp. And each one of them has to face you know, something that's a trial or a tribulation. Uh -huh. So it had a little, it had a little bit of magic to yeah, it. Yeah, yep. um, and they did. And it, a couple of wonderful composers, um, you know, one of them that writes a lot of um, stuff for video games now, his name is Kevin Krauss. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend Arthur Brewer, who is a fabulous pianist, lives in, in um, the Midwest, upper, uh, upper, I think Idaho now, but wonderful composer and and I collaborated on the score and um, it ended up being a really nice musical that was seen by thousands and thousands of kids but after that I became a conductor and I really got into what I think of as the the recreative side of art instead of the creative side of yeah, art. yeah that's something that I struggle with too I I, I don't I don't mean t also I, it doesn't sound like you struggle with it but I I think that's part of this podcast too is that I've spent 25 years interpreting uh, music and interpreting right. work and I, maybe this is an opportunity for me to actually create something. You, you, yeah. you don't have those impulses yet. Well, I write. I, I write a lot oh, of do? not music, but yeah. a lot of 
Um, I write a lot of poetry. I'm a, I do a lot of journaling. Uh -huh. And um, in, I was on the board for the California ACDA for 12 years. Uh -huh. And the last six years, I wrote three articles a year for that. So I, I do have my Another creative outlet. sign mm -hmm. in English. But, you know, for me, I really enjoy trying to get in the head of, of living composers. And, and even more interestingly, I think the ones who are gone, and I can't ask the questions of, yeah. um, and say, what, you know, what was Bach thinking here? What was Brahms thinking here? You know, I had one, yeah. one of those moments in church this morning where I was thinking, why did Bernstein do this? And how, you know, how can I make this work? And is it, is it against the rules in church for me to add another four bars yeah. of drum here? And I just decided, no, it's not. This is church music. And it was originally written for a play. We were doing, um, we were doing his Misa Brevis, uh -huh. you know, which was originally the choruses from the Lark, mm -hmm. um, a play about Joan of Arc in the 1950s. And so it's theater music, you know, mm -hmm. you vamp, you vamp until you're ready to go on. That's it. And we were needing a transition that was a little bit longer in church service. And I just thought, said to, to the drummer, you know, give, give me another, give yeah. me another four bars of that before we do it. That's it. And, you know, I've also been, you know, blessed enough to work with compo living composers who are so creative and just change everything in the moment. Of course, it's their music, so yeah. you know it's it's different. Yeah. Um, but I I don't think does it, it make it a little less precious? Is it, that what you're saying? For me, it does. Yeah. And I think a lot of yeah. people who have spent a lot of time in church music have that idea that you know the score is a living document. Right. You know, there's. There, there are people who look at it and say, well, you know, how would Bach have done this? We can only do it the way Bach would, would have done it. They're doing mm -hmm. some Bach. Yeah. But we know, for example, that with a lot of his cantatas, he would write a, a, a line for obligato oboe. Mm -hmm. And if the oboist wasn't around that weekend, Hand the violinist would play it or mm -hmm. the flute player would sure. play it. Or he'd hand one of his kids a recorder and say, mm -hmm. you know, Johann Phil or, you know, Philip Emanuel, play this mm -hmm. at whatever it was. Yeah. And, and he may have written it to begin with because it was so damn noisy at home. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just just need to get out of the house. He was, he was, he was upstairs <laughs> in his study, I'm sure, and let, let his wife deal with it. But I think a certain flexibility is required and like I said, the composers that I like, um, both their music and the people that I like personally, mm -hmm. are always changing things. You mm -hmm. know, um, Sidney Guillaume, who was a composer in residence, at, you know, down here for a while. I know. I tried to get you him know, before he left town. I'm gonna, I'm gonna nab him. He was, he was at, he was at Long Beach before we went on tour this summer, and mm -hmm. we were doing one of his pieces, and he changed the opening to the piece, and I like it so much better. Yeah. And this was one of his first published works, and he came back 12 years later and said, "Well, let's try this." You know, and, and just, just the other night, we, we were doing um, Eric Whitaker's Five Hebrew Love Songs, mm -hmm. and my soprano came to me, and she said, have you listened to the light and gold recording of this? And I said, well, not since it came out. And she said, well, you know, Eric actually wrote a descant that's not in the score, and I, I love it. I want to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I sent Eric a real quick text and said, you know, I've got a soprano who can do the descant. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about it? Can I do that? Because if you've got someone who can do it, absolutely. Yeah. So, again, you know, it's, it's a flexible... Yeah, it's yeah. a flexible living art, and um, I, yeah. I appreciate that. That's part of this podcast, too, is to talk to people who uh, work in what most people consider to be a very rarefied and highfalutin right. line of work. Uh, and what you're describing is, is a little uh, more flexible than I think people think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when we're, when we're blessed to get to know the people who really do it at the, at the top level, mm -hmm. they're even more flexible than than I'm That's talking right. about, you know, they're not, they're not afraid to say, I know he wrote this, but it just, that transition just doesn't work. That's right. So we're going to, we're going to try this and I'm going to conduct it this way and we're going to speed up or slow down. Or, right. You know, and, and I think that 
at least to me, and of course my composer friends are probably going to say something to me if they hear this, you know, I think that there is, you know, it, the verb is play. Mm -hmm. We play music, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that when we lose the sense of play, we're really in trouble. Yeah, I find that uh, uh, that's a real risk. It was a real risk to me going to college. Uh, and it may have been my reaction to college, and it may have been the way I was taught in college, but there, there was a real risk for me of losing that sense of play right. in the deconstruction of music, which I found and still find very magical. And there's something about not knowing how it works that uh, is delightful about right. music. I'm not sure that the way we train musicians is ideal for keeping the love of the arts alive, mm -hmm. at least while they're in that training. Right. You know, they they get to college and they have theory class at 8 a.m. So let's start with that. At every college in America, yes. theory is at 8 a.m. Yes. And they say that's to weed out students and to get them to professionalism. But some musicians just don't function at 8 a.m. That's right. You know? So you start with that. And then they go straight from that class to music history mm -hmm. and they're studying music history in a prescribed generally chronological order mm -hmm. and then they go from there maybe to a conducting class mm -hmm. and then they have a voice lesson and then they have a choir and then or an orchestra and then they have a small ensemble and they're really doing nothing but music all day long That's at the right. conservatories and I mean I think it's a rare person who doesn't get burnt out at some point right. in that study right and um, it's a little bit of professional hazing and I know that in my own mind I think to myself Am I pushing these students too much? Uh, you know, I like to have everything that we sing done by memory mm -hmm. um, if we're doing it in live performance. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not the way that um, a lot of the professional choirs perform. You know, it's very rare that Master Chorale or Conspirare or or Seraphic Fire will do something. Well, at Kelsey Fullerton, we yeah. had music, yeah. Right. We didn't memorize. We didn't memorize things. No. And I think that's still true usually. I mean, it, it ended up being memorized. Right. That and wasn't I, the goal, yeah. Right. <clears throat> and then the goal for me with memory is not memory for memory's sake, it's memory for expressivity's sake. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, it's just so much easier to be expressive, you know, when it's memorized. When you're over-prepared. Right. Yeah. And I was looking at the students last night, you know, back to... To Eric's five Hebrew love songs, which at this point is an old piece of music, mm -hmm. but it felt really new, and mm -hmm. I loved watching my tenors watch the viola mm -hmm. and and line their 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 notes up with the viola player because there wasn't a score in front of them. They mm -hmm. could they could really get into the center. And mm -hmm. this new piece of Jake Runnestad's that we did, the Hope of Loving, again, a, you know, a 15 minute piece, but by having it memorized, there was a real flexibility that's hard to get at the collegiate level. Um, if people still are holding scores, right. you know, certainly some, you know, the professional musicians of the, you know, the LA Master Chorale or the John Alexander Singers, they're used to singing as well with or without music. Sure, sure. How did but you come to that conclusion? Were you trained? Just experience with it. That's it. You I went didn't have a, a teacher period. that that made you memorize. No, it, music well, right? I had both experiences mm -hmm. actually because at Chapman we memorized everything. That uh, was with Bill. Um, with Bill mm -hmm. Hall, but at Cincinnati we memorized nothing because mm -hmm. we were doing, um, you know, huge amount of huge repertoire. amounts of repertoire yeah. and and trying to train as many composers as possible. Yeah. And and so, and trying to become the best readers that we could be, mm -hmm. and so we didn't we didn't memorize a single thing. <clears throat> but then several years ago, I was invited to conduct the Slovenian National Chamber Choir, which is one of the one of the professional choirs in Europe. Mm -hmm. And they asked for an all American program, and I sent them my program, which was you know pretty standard American repertoire, including the 
the Rose songs of Martin mm-hmm. Lauritsen mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Vann's Procession Winding Around Me and some other things. And then I closed out with four Moses Hogan spirituals. And in my note, I said, oh, and by the way, we're going to memorize these four Moses Hogan spirituals. Now, these are Slovenians yeah. and we were going to do them in English. And, you know, I didn't hear anything back and I got there. And the first thing their assistant said to me is, you know, we've, we have looked at the music and we've done a little bit of preparation, but, you know, the choir is very adamant that there's no way that they can memorize these spirituals. Yeah. And I said, okay. And we got into our, our seven days of rehearsal. What a luxury, you know, right. seven days of six hours a day choral wow. rehearsal. And, um, and I just approached it like, I'm going to they're going to have this music memorized before they know yeah. it's memorized. Despite their best because efforts. <laughs> that's right, right. Because spirituals are not that's part right. of their repertoire, but they're part of our repertoire. Right. And of course, there's a certain rep, you know, repetition and logic to the way those great Moses Hogan arrangements work. And so, you know, at some point I said, now put your music down. Yeah. And I'll never forget the look on their faces. I said, it's Elijah Rock. You guys know how yeah. this works. And I looked at the bases and they started with, oh, Elijah. And, and they, they were just beaming. I mean, it was incredible. And this woman came up to me in very, you know, uh, kind of broken English mm-hmm. and said, I've been in this choir for 20 years. And this is the first time I've ever sung anything except the Slovenian national anthem in, in, in by memory. Yeah. So we never, we never memorize anything. And, they, it was freeing for them. It was really freeing. And I think the biggest indicator of that was that we had almost a sold out concert, you know, in a, in a just post-communist country. Right. Um, and they said the only way it ever sells out is when the singers are really, really excited about a concert. Yeah. And I think that was the spirituals. Not that they didn't love the Lordson or the, no, of course. Or, or the van or whatever, but it was whenever the I, Whenever I was on tour uh, with my college choir, I think we went on two European tours. One to South America with a chorale. It was always the spirituals. Yeah. Everybody wants to hear the spirituals. Right. If you're in Switzerland or France or Italy, sure. they want to hear Absolutely. Ezekiel Saw the Wheel. They want to hear Elijah right. Rock. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> All that great stuff. <laughs> so how did you end up uh, in Long Beach? So you, you grew up, let's track this. You grew up in Orange, in Orange, in Orange County. You went to Pepperdine for a, a, just a, a, year. Little, a year. Then you went to Chapman. Then I taught high school for three years in Gar- Garden Grove at uh-huh. Santiago High School. One year at the LA County High School, high school of the Arts. Okay. Choral music. Okay. And then in that year, I was doing a production. You know, uh, you remember there used to be all these wonderful civic light operas in sure. California. There mm-hmm. was South Bay Civic Light Opera and San Gabriel Civic Light Opera. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a production of Pirates of Penzance. Um, I was singing. I was one of the pirates. Uh-huh. And... Um, it was closing night and the woman who was playing Ruth and I, you know, had several conversations and we're backstage before curtain and she's sitting in a chair weeping, just weeping. And I walked over and put my arm around her and said, hey, what's, what's going on? And she said, I'm just, I, I'm really bereft. She said, this is the first year in 14 that I have finished a show and not had another show to go to. And she was in her mid-40s and kind of at that age, you know, where a lot of women in theater find themselves between roles, Yeah. you know, yeah. and um, she said, but I've got a house and, you know, and a mortgage and two kids mm-hmm. and I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I was teaching part-time at the, at the High School of the Arts, but I was working full-time doing theater and, and singing in, in um, Bill Hall's group mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. I thought to myself... I'm going back to graduate school. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a college professor. I'm yeah. 26. This yeah. is time. It's, if I'm going to do this, I, I should I should go back. And yeah. so 
I went to Cincinnati and had a wonderful experience there. Now, did you and audition then, for other schools, or was I did, did just, you have your just Cincinnati and Yale? That was it. That was it. Huh? Yeah, those are the. And I was so um, Cincinnati just felt right. You yeah. Know, when I finished the audition, um, it was it was a different, totally different faculty than it is at Yale now, which is really one of the places that I recommend my students go mm -hmm. for graduate school mm -hmm. if they can get in. I mean, it's sure. a very competitive program, but Cincinnati had just been through the the redesign of the buildings the em pay yeah or im pay um design that's such a phenomenal conservatory yeah you know they have yeah. one building devoted to the vocal arts right which is incredible right and i just i loved it there and so the support I, for the arts in, it's in, incredible in ohio is unbelievable yeah. well just you know it's and cincinnati is a really special city because it's it's not it's about the size of long beach and lakewood if you think about it that wow. way mm -hmm. and yet they have you know the Reds and the Bengals, mm -hmm. plus the Opera Company, the Cincinnati Symphony, the Cincinnati Pops, mm -hmm. the College Conservatory of Music, and a ballet company. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you look at that, and the only way that that's possible is that it's also home of Procter and Gamble, right, and home of Kroger. Yeah, and so you have two of America's largest corporations there, and and just that long tradition of of support of the arts and my, philanthropy. Yeah, right. My mm -hmm. my my education was entirely paid for by um, Patricia Corbett, who who. Mm -hmm. um, her husband invented the the doorbell, right? <laughs> you know, the electric doorbell, right? And started the Newtone company, right? Right. So, um, I, I was really fortunate to be there. But then from Cincinnati, I I was working at the Cincinnati Symphony as their um, third assistant conductor. Okay. At Cincinnati Symphony. I had a um, a, a fellowship, and um, the job came open at Long Beach State, and um, just coincidentally, yeah, just that year. Wow. And I had, you know, that's really what I'd gone to school to do was to be a choir director at, yeah. a, at a four year school. And I put in my application and then the symphony asked me to audition uh, to be the second uh -huh. uh, conductor, which means I actually would have had conducting experience. Sure. And I um, walked into Jesus Lopez Cobos's studio and mm -hmm. said, Maestro, can I, can I get some time just to talk to you about some career stuff? And he said, sure, you mm -hmm. know, which was so grace, gracious of him. He's really an incredible human being. And um, I, I thanked him for the invitation to to audition with the orchestra, and, mm -hmm. and I, I had been working on it at that point. We were we were doing Don Juan and American Ex in Paris. Was my going to be my audition? Now, did you enjoy yeah. conducting orchestral music? I did, but I hadn't had much experience with it. I see. Um, by comparison, but I was going to be able to conduct the Cincinnati Symphony and right. some Strauss and some Gershwin. Right, and it's a totally different animal. Than it is conducting a it voices. is, and those are all you know, it's and it's yeah. all prose. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You, know, you just give about, a downbeat. And that's get the right. Baton and, down. Yeah, as long as yes, <laughs> yeah, just don't make a fool of yourself. Um, but you know, I said to him, I. I, this job has come open in Long Beach, yeah. and um, I'm I'm a finalist there, and I actually have an audition in two weeks, and then my audition there in Cincinnati I think was in three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, let me ask you a question. He said, what do you think about spending the next thirty years of your life traveling, living out of your suitcase, mm -hmm. and being in hotel rooms? Mm -hmm. And I said, that's not what I want. I want mm -hmm. to build a community. Mm -hmm. You know, I want I want a community of singers around me and a community of people around me. And he said, I have thought many times in my life about my years, you know, in, in the college. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, if this is what you want to do, go be a college professor and don't look back. And uh, it was incredible advice for me. And it was the right thing for me because I feel like I do exactly what I had always wanted to do. Yeah. And I've created a, a really beautiful community of friends and family, yeah. you know, at Long Beach. And um 
You know, I'm proud of our singers and the ones who are singing, you know, locally with Master Chorale and the opera mm-hmm. and and the ones who are across the country, you know, now at Cincinnati Symphony and, yeah, and right. singing with Chicago, you know, with Chicago and with the San Francisco Opera and San right. Francisco Symphony Chorus and all that sort of stuff. And um, I think that I, I made the right decision that day for sure. I made the same decision with my career. I, I uh, had representation and I for a couple of years traveled around the country singing in mostly B, B and C houses as a principal singer. And um yeah, I was not good at it. It's a hard life. I, I wasn't good at it. And but, I just talked to James Conlon a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and he he described the opposite of what we're talking about. Right. Where it it that was his life. Like he was into sure. it. Sure. He was good at it. Well, and that was you know he I was his assistant for the May Festival mm-hmm, as well because right. that was part of part of the thing. And you know one of the things that I remembered really thinking about working with him was he's doing a different concert of repertoire every night with the May Festival for yep. two weeks. And I was thinking, wow, it's going to be 25 years before I felt comfortable to do that. Yeah. And it just felt so overwhelming to me. And the collegiate world wasn't as overwhelming because I, I knew how to do that. Yeah. And so it's interesting. He and you can have a real home base doing what exactly. we do. I mean, I have a house and two kids. And right. I, I don't know if that would have been possible had I continued to go down the other path. Yeah. And, and I have I have loved teaching. And, of course, I've been at First Congregational Church now for, for 10 years, which mm-hmm. has been an, an incredible experience to rebuild one of L.A.'s great um, Protestant churches. Mm-hmm. You know, they hired me and then they hired the the senior minister um, six months later and um, you know and then everybody else on the staff is new over the last decade but you know we have a wonderful choir and Mm -hmm. um, we make music every weekend and change people's lives on a Sunday morning and that's really special you know like I said I got I got to do Bernstein this morning you know it's no job yeah on two two rehearsals and um, it just it's fun to to have that experience so that's my that's my different music every week experience you mm-hmm. know and then of course at, at at school we can really go for perfection yeah and, sure sure are, are you a religious person do you find some um i'm not religious yeah at all. Me, I, I would i would definitely I. consider myself a, um an atheist jew if yeah. someone said to me yeah I mean, me too me yeah too. i mean i was raised culturally jewish um one of my friends calls me a bagels and locks jew uh-huh you know that, uh-huh. that i i do get a lot of um pleasure from my my culture and um but I don't have any um, religious pretensions. Yeah. And at church, fortunately, at, at First Congregational, it's a very liberal place. Mm-hmm. There's no expectation mm-hmm. of dogma of yeah. people, you know. And so for me, it becomes a meditative Sunday. And and the sermons, like today's sermon, was about Babette's Feast, the great movie, mm-hmm. and and hospitality. So I was able to couple that with repertoire, you know. The the there's a piece called The Rune of Hospitality by yeah. Alf Hokum, which is beautiful for choir and harp. And then um, the sermon was sort of in two parts that matched the the Bernstein that I was able to do. So it's, it's one of those things where we can be really creative and, and kind of and really, together. yeah, and really help uh, that congregation get in touch with yeah. real beauty. Right. On and, and that I think that my job on Sunday mornings are, is to do things to wake people up and mm-hmm. get them thinking about life and to give them a moment of respite to just look inwards. Mm-hmm. And so er, every Sunday we do four anthems, which is a lot wow. for a church. Yeah. But um, we, tr- we try to make it interesting. I'm the same way with high holidays. I have this high holiday gig that I I really look forward to every year. It's not high profile. It's out in Chatsworth. It's uh, the congregation's lovely. The singers are are really delightful people. I'm an atheist, and I see, but I see the uh, impact that yeah. the choir has on on their 
holiday season. Right. And it's really, uh, I feel the same way. I, I, you get the sense of community and, and together inclusiveness and togetherness. Sure. And they know that I'm not a Jew and that mm-hmm. I don't really believe in, in that stuff. And, but I still find it very rewarding. Right. So I, we're, we're, we're similar that way. I love it. And I, and I love the fact that, um, I, I touch people's lives in a different way as a teacher than I do as a, as a church choir director. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I never, I never in a million years thought I would be a church choir director. Really? It wasn't something that I ever saw happening. And then I walked into this extraordinary space that's first yeah. congregational and heard the organ and they offered me a job that I just couldn't say no to. And I was able to, you know, hire a bunch of my friends, yeah, um, yeah. former students to make kind of set, create a great choir over a period yeah. of time and a lot of the singers now i mean i have a lot of singers who've been with me for more than five years oh in that group so so what's what's next for you are you um what do you have your sights set on are you really i mean you seem so content i i i, I would be content being in your seat right now it, well d- d- i'm gonna do my first cd or first recording project okay uh, this coming summer yeah uh, the choir from cal state long beach and i are going to um to europe and then the last four days that we're there we're going to go to england and take over a, a little um, a little uh, chapel yeah. in um, Oxford and and make a recording, and so it's going to be twentieth and twenty first century music about love and light. Oh, wonderful! And who um, are some of the composers you're uh, considering? Well, I probably shouldn't say because I, oh, okay, to- sure. I haven't told them yet. Okay, the one oh, that I'll oh, tell you so for this sure. Is a real thing. Yeah, okay, that's a real great. thing. Yeah, the one that I'm doing for sure. Um, is Jake Renestead. Sure. Um, I'm going to do his Hope of Loving, um, which is for uh, eight-part choir, string quartet, and three soloists. And you're taking... And that's definitely going to be Do there. you have a professional choir outside of school, or are you taking your school choir? No, I'm taking the school choir. Oh, terrific. Yeah. I, I um, You know, they sound professional. They, won, they won the choir of the world last year at the Welsh I Stead Fund. Mm-hmm. So I think the difference between my school choir and a professional choir is the sound, maybe the sound of age mm-hmm. and, um, and that they take, takes longer to learn things at the yeah. university. But once they know it, I mean, I, I'll, I'd put them against pretty much anybody. Do you have any and, um, uh, desire to form a professional choir outside of what you're doing? Or? You know, I've thought about that, yeah. but I don't think I could do it with church. Right. Um, I know that a lot of conductors you know, they do three groups or three working with three different organizations right. at once. But I think I've really found what is the sweet spot for me mm-hmm. with just being at the conservatory at Long Beach and mm-hmm. at, at church and doing, you know, some professional gigs. Sure. I'm, I'm going to Shanghai in a couple of weeks to do an honor choir. I have doing the Arizona Allstate oh, that's in, exciting. In, the, in the spring. And, you know, I have time for those sort of things. If I had a professional choir at the same time, I just couldn't do it. And I yeah. want to have some time in my garden sometimes reading and reflecting and studying scores and i just um i used to have three groups and three organizations that i worked with and it was too much for me i wasn't um happy Hmm. i need a little bit more introspective time than i can get um, if i'm working all the time yeah yeah and since I don't have a family, you know, I'm not under the financial pressure to have that third job that yeah. so many musicians are under. Yeah. Are you uh, are you dating anybody um, now or not, is it not something really. it's no. not time? Um, I mean, if I met the right person, yeah. you know, I, it would it would be time. I'm not I'm not trying to shy away from it, uh-huh, but I'm uh-huh. just not one to really go looking. Yeah, either, you know, that's just not who a, I am. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a it, chore, it, isn't it? And when you're with, you know, when you're with people who are 20 years younger than you are yeah. and then. At the church, you're not in a place where I'm where I meet people. Yeah, yeah. Quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Well, what else? We covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I was thinking, like, what, 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 what would I ask me? And and I thought, 
you know, I have, I'm always full of these academic questions. Where, yeah. where is music going? There's a conversation okay. that, that I'm interested in. Yeah. What do you think? You know? but, uh, yeah, sure. And I, and I have this theory um, that is totally unformed and not really thought about completely, but it feels to me like we are, at least in the choral world, in almost a completely neo-romantic phase right now. In composition? You yeah, mean with living composition. composers? Uh-huh, yeah, with living see. composers. Mm-hmm. Neo-romantic with, with flavors of minimalism. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, in our concert that we did last night, my colleague uh, at Long Beach State did a big Ola Yellow piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly sounds like film music, um, film music mixed with um, romanticism, mixed with some Philip Glass. Right, right. And, and I find that there's a lot of that around right now. And of course, you know, I, I think that Eric's influence on the Generation Y, Eric Whitaker's influence on Generation Y and the Millennials is extraordinary. Yeah. You know, in fact, I did a, I haven't even talked to Eric about this, but I did a thing um, in the summer why I, where I said, counterpoint is important and we need to, to search it out for our kids because all they want to listen to is Eric Whitaker. Yeah, right. And, right. And I clearly love love Eric's music and have done almost everything that he's written. But I also like to have a lot of significant counterpoint mm-hmm. in, in the choral world. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're starting to see some composers who are writing with a little bit more of individual lines instead of the magnificent big chords uh-huh. that we've come to think of, you know, in, in Eric's music and maybe in the music of Frank Kelly and um, some of the other composers, you know. And of course, Lauritsen has done both yeah, over the yeah, course yeah, yeah. of his life. Who's our probably our, our greatest why living are we LA in that composer? E- why are we in that epoch of uh, of that kind of writing? Is it is it because of the cell phone? Is it because of uh, mass media? Is it because of movies and television? You know, I I don't know how we got to the point where so much music is written um, homophonically. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's it a came lack from. of sophistication and musical I, training. I think that's part of it. I think that anybody can sit at a keyboard and l- read a poem and accompany themselves in chords, but to accompany yourself in counterpoint is a very different thing. And that's not to say that there's not great um, validity to oh, a beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. homophonic piece. No, that's not what I'm but saying. But everybody's at all. writing that but way. But you don't hear John Cage. Right. Uh, you don't hear sure even. or 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 even you know Harbison yeah or if you want to think of some great hard choral music that um that they've been doing it in Master Chorale over the uh, years Arbo you know Pierre, some of the, or, or the Flemish composers yeah. or or anything um, I mean it got to a point where I mean I I I, might, I kind of see it analogous to what uh, Copeland did in his own career where he was starting to write more and more prickly music that people just didn't want to listen to and he right. you know came out with rodeo and changed the course of everything sure or, and, and you know you, you have the the reverse effect um with schoenberg where some of his early choral stuff is really mm-hmm. excruciatingly beautiful mm-hmm. romantic music mm-hmm. you know his frida auf erden is one of my favorite things to conduct mm-hmm. but then you know you move forward into some of his things in the 40s and 50s and and I'm personally not interested in, in conducting dodecaphonic music. I don't. I don't yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, Bernstein, back to, coming back to Bernstein, he had this struggle in the 60s that he felt like all of academia was saying you needed to be writing in 12 tones. And he just wasn't interested. Right. You know, he took a sabbatical from the from the New York Phil to, to come up with a new way of th looking at things. And he ended up writing the, Ch the Chester Psalms, mm -hmm. which is um, about as tonal as it gets. Of course, right. you know, it's tonal right. with lots of flavors of, of Broadway and right. some Jewish, you know, Jewish hints right. at Jewish um, scales and things like that, but it's definitely tonal music, and um, and it's had a huge. Every, I don't know a singer who doesn't know it I and know. doesn't yeah, love it. It's beautiful, you know. It's beautiful. So I, I I think we're in a in an age now where um, anybody can get into composition with a keyboard and Finale or Sibelius on their computer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a wonderful democratizing thing. Sure. Well, but the it, cream definitely rises to the top. That's right. Yeah. And, and there are those composers, you know, who start there and eventually develop the craft to, you know, write mm -hmm. interesting music. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is that sometimes the most interesting music sounds simple. Mm -hmm. And so people think, oh, I can write something simple and it'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. That's different. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. When you, well, yeah, when you distill it like Mozart did to, to the bare right, minimum. Right, exactly. Or, you know, um, to the to the choral composers who are really successfully setting poetry, you know, with great attention to word stress mm -hmm. and word painting and making the poem better than it would be by itself. That's right. And so for me, I'm always looking at what's the text. You know, it's one mm -hmm. of the things you had Jake on a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that I love about Jake Runestead's poetry is he, the, he picks great stuff to yeah. set. And I it's think interesting. Eric does the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah, with and, you Tony. Know, Tony's texts are beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and both Eric and, and um, Jake have kind of shied away from religious texts. You know, right. they've both got an hallelujah. Right. Um, but that's about as, you know, ecumenical as you can well, be. Well, that brings up a big, religious. a good point as, as religion declines, that par that musical paradigm that came out of religious institutions is not there anymore. And so right. there is more, like you said, more of an egalitarian approach to, to music that is mm -hmm. more popular in, in a pop, you know, more reflected of the average general population. I would sure. Imagine. And I think dramatic and, and you know, storytelling um, is a dramatic storytelling approach to to conducting is only made possible if you've got dramatic music you know mm -hmm. we, we've loved madrigals for centuries mm -hmm. because they tell stories and you know speaking of Eric one of my favorite of his pieces is Leonardo dreams of his flying machine yeah, and also Tony you Tony, know Tony's yeah. text mm -hmm. and the thing that I love so much about it is it's it's a scena it's mm -hmm. it, it's a whole operatic scene mm -hmm. that the choir can can tell a story right of. You know while they do it and right. you know it's so immediate and so visceral and right you know when leonardo jumps and steals himself and it, it's such an explosively exciting moment as an audience member you right. think wow i just have i've witnessed something with my ears that's magical and that will never leave me now that's the other side of the coin that we've been talking about we've been talking about some of the downfalls and in society and the way that we rely so much on our cell phones and technology. The other side of the coin is that because of cell phones and technology and this bombardment of media, going to a concert and being still, like you're describing your congregation, mm -hmm. uh, and experiencing something that is becoming less and less part of our vernacular. Right. It's Maybe that's the uptick in classical music and choral music in particular, is that it provides a, uh, an opportunity for the audience to experience something that's been lost in some yeah. way. 
Well, we did a thing last night at our concert at Long Beach that I've never done before, and I got it from from Grant's concerts with the LA Master Chorale, mm -hmm. and we put projections up. Mm -hmm. um, so every word they sang last night, English or foreign language, was on the screen, the translations. That's a great and idea. I'll tell you, yeah. I, you know, I only conduct one of the two choirs that, that sang last night, but just watching the words yeah. go by as the choir sings them, takes away the the part of your brain where you're thinking what are they saying because no matter how good right. your english diction of is course. you know it, especially if it's polyphonic it's hard to hear understand exactly what's happening well, well you're this you're taking the so... paper out of the students hands that's and right. now you're taking the paper out of the audience that's hands. right and so we were all that's a beautiful way of putting i'm going to yes. steal that from you yeah and so you know everybody was in it at the same time yes. and one of my singers said to me he said, I realized I had to I had to be extra expressive tonight because they knew exactly what I was singing about. Yes, I was singing in French and I couldn't hide behind the French That's right. because the English was projected behind my head. That's right. And I thought You expand the community. Absolutely. Within the and and we had a sold out house last night, which is extraordinary for a ah, college choral concert. So sorry I missed so, it. So yeah, Damn it. <laughs> it was it was really fun. So I, I, I have my poor graduate students because I've made work for them now forever. I'll never do a concert with written translations in the program I think again. It's fantastic. Never. We're going to we're going to project it because, you know, we're we're visceral people now, right. and we look we look around. We want to feel it immediately. We've got phones in our pockets all the time. So at least if it's if the words are flashing at us while people are singing, it, it allows us to be in that moment mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. It was a really it was a really special concert because of the 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 translations being on the walls. And I never thought it would make that big a difference, even though we did it that way when we did the War Requiem in Disney Hall yeah. with, with James Conlon a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, it was. I, I should have learned the lesson there, but you know, sometimes the 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 teacher the teacher appears when the student is ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's that's marvelous, John. Well, listen, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. I really, I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Likewise. I, you likewise. know, I run into you at the bowl. I run into you around town sometimes, and it's really nice to get to know you a little bit likewise, more here. Yeah. So thanks for coming. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well. You know, my day got a little bit better. I, I really like John, and this is the first time I have, I've had a chance to sit down and have a chat with him and really uh, appreciate his candor and his uh, uh, thoughtfulness. He's a very uh, thoughtful, well-spoken person. I really, really had a good time. So thanks, John. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. I really love what I do. I love meeting new people. I hope I'm entertaining to, to everybody, and uh, for those of you who don't find it entertaining you know i'm sorry I'm doing the best i can but uh seriously thank you guys i hope you have a great week really and until next stuff. time you probably like to dance you like long walks and you wear clean pants genius get onto my show